liberalism is trust of the people tempered by prudence. Conservatism is distrust of the people tempered by fear. Voidism is luck tempered by compassion. That is how we embrace the void. you to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. Leaves from the vine falling so slow. Sometimes, Master, it is difficult for meatbags to step back and gain some perspective on death and its importance in their insignificant lives. I don't know if I'm up for this. I'm so emotional. I can barely think straight. Great. Use that. Embrace the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 183 of Embrace the Void, where the news is still depressing, but in a more low-key kind of way. I am your host, Aaron, and this week I continue what's turned into a bit of a series of conversations across various aisles. I've been really enjoying these, so let's, uh, you know, really getting up in there and modeling discourse and whatnot. So let's steal some mans. All life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... Something. My guest this week is Stephen Douse, host of the You Might Have a Point podcast and blog. Stephen, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello to the void, and it's actually Dawes. Dawes, okay. Yeah. Well, like pause and cause. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, welcome <laughs> to the large group of people whose names that I have screwed up. So, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. You had me on your show a little while back and we had a fun chat and the format of your show is that you generally tend to like i do on this show focus on questions towards the you know the interests of the other person and their sort of background but you did at least let drop over the course of our conversation that you were a moderate conservative which is for me one of the more fascinating species of unicorns to study so i appreciate you coming on the show to have a little chat about that so why don't you tell me a little, tell us a little bit about your sort of background, you know, personal, whatever you feel like um, is important to the narrative mm-hmm. that gets you mm-hmm. to being a moderate conservative. Sure. So my day job is as a software engineer, and I'll bring that in in a little bit. I had a little bit of experience in journalism back when I was in high school and college, writing some column, columns that were sort of very standard conservative takes at the time. And I studied political science as well as computer science in college. I've always been interested in uh, systems of organizing society as well as like computer systems. I tend to think in terms of systems and how to improve them, how to optimize outcomes, how to balance trade-offs, that sort of thing. And so that's kind of the the stream of thought that runs through the way my, I I bring to, that I bring to different problems. Hmm. And so in terms of being a moderate conservative, I'm a conservative because for 
variety of reasons. One of them is I'm skeptical of human nature generally. I, I believe in like universal human rights and liberty first and foremost, and that uh, putting people, giving any, any organization too much power is likely going to be bad in the long run. But the reason I'm a moderate conservative is because I tend to see both sides of things. I tend to not want to um, just stick to any particular party line. Um, Mm-hmm. I'm. I think I'm, the, you referenced me being a unicorn. One of the things that makes me being a, be a unicorn is that I voted both for Clinton and for Biden um, because I'm mm-hmm. very opposed to Trump. Um, so that you know, I don't think I'm going to be invited to seat back anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's about the size of it. Yeah, I mean, the unicorn thing is a bit of a joke because I think I have maybe one other person who I know who like self-identifies as a moderate conservative. We could certainly we could talk about like within the intelligentsia, which individuals sort of genuinely self-identify versus we we could choose to identify them. And I think there are like a lot of centrists, for example, who I think better would be better classified as moderate conservatives. But I do think in American politics right now that particular strain of conservatism is not doing so hot that it has yeah. been marginalized yeah. in, a, in a really unfortunate way. It seems to me, is that the sort of I, your experience? I, I agree. I think there's people in the conservative movement, like trying to out conservative each other and very much mm-hmm. sort of like it's a, it's an identity brand. I mean, Mitt Romney said he was severely conservative when he was running. And <laughs> I think that was just not really anything meaningful in terms of his policies. Um, I think I what think he meant he is actually... he's very severe and he's very conservative. <laughs> that maybe is a better interpretation. But yeah, I, I do think like with the rise of Trump, it just has become completely divorced from any actual ideological stance. Yeah, so... How do you feel about the Biden presidency so far? Are you, I mean, I'm fairly opposed uh, to a lot of the things he's done. I don't like the executive order on the Keystone Pipeline or on um, paying for abortions overseas. Um, I mean, and I also don't think that the you know uh, stimulus uh, or uh, coronavirus bill was necessary mm-hmm. to spend 1.9 billion dollars um i think that i was i was hopeful for a moment that like a genuine bipartisan moment could occur and some you know a reasonable amount of stimulus spending whether it ended up being like 900 million dollars or what have you um as opposed to the 1.9 billion mm-hmm. um trillion occur, I think you mean, right but, i'm sorry yeah trillion yeah, yeah. so yeah uh i'm disappointed not Terribly surprised, but that's what I think so far. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wonder how sort of what you think the path would have looked like towards a functional compromise, given what you've sort of just said about the state of the conservative side of things. Right, right. So, I mean, I have not paid too close attention, but I mean, basically, my understanding is like there were the 10 Republicans who, you know, went to meet with Biden once or twice, right? And obviously we don't know exactly what went on there how sincere they were how sincere biden was it looked like maybe the republicans were a little disorganized but the democrats also seemed like they were not necessarily towing a clear line and then joe manchin uh caved at the last minute i don't know um you know i i think 
I'm not I'm not the most astute partisan observer um, or political observer um, right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we're all taking a little bit of a a little bit of a breather, right? (laughs) Yes. Gripping our seats quite tightly for several years. Um, So, Um, yeah, let's let's talk then a little bit about sort of what it means to you to be a moderate conservative. How do you mm -hmm. so like I I have often commented that like a conservative is somebody who wants to conserve something. And I think you you, you had a good point to, to add that, like, that's probably not sufficient for understanding the concept in the sort of modern parlance. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I said, what do I want to conserve? Well, the basic constitutional order, which like mm-hmm. is why I'm very disappointed that uh, we did not convict Trump. Cause I think he was very much against mm. that constitutional order. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's more than just the, letter of the law there's the spirit of the law and those the continuity of government and you know just basic things like that but what mm-hmm. else um i mean I, I i pointed out that conservative means like cautious skeptical prudent um policies that um uh how to how did i like so the example i gave was like occupational licensing reform i want to reduce the amount of um, regulation generally, um, I think it's possible to think that you're doing something uh, that uh, improves society, but actually has mm-hmm. negative consequences. I think oftentimes progressives assume that their intentions will, um, since their intentions are good, that they will be matched by the reality that they're trying to make. Whereas mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a conservative has a more skeptical view, view of human nature, tends to look at incentives, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the skeptical thing about human nature, and this is actually a point in which I'm somewhat sympathetic, I think, in the sense Mm -hmm. that, like, the conservative writer that I wish conservatives would pay the most attention to is Thomas Hobbes. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think he makes the clearest case for why someone might seriously consider a kind of social conservatism. Um, Now, that being said, you know, I also I'm probably end up a little bit more optimistic than Hobbes does about the state of human nature. I think human beings raised in functioning societies can be habituated to be better individuals to the point where, for example, I don't think they would immediately fail the like ring of Gaiji's invisible ring. You know, you turn evil instantly kind mm-hmm. of thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the I don't think that I also don't think that like in the state of nature, we immediately collapse into this tooth and claw thing that I think Hobbes no, was concerned ab- absolutely about. Absolutely not. I, I think he was catastrophizing a, a little bit about the state mm-hmm. of nature. I guess one thing I would say in addition to that is I I think sometimes progressives tend to view the only two things in society as the individual and the government, um, and maybe even the individual and the federal government. And mm-hmm. I think there, there's a lot more to that. I think, um, uh, you know, the family is important. I think um, mm-hmm. local and state governments have an important role to play. Um, oftentimes we lose sight of that and I'm guilty of doing that as well because I'm so, Mm -hmm. you know, interested in the, in the hottest national news or whatever. Um, and then in addition to that, I think private, you know, organizations, nonprofits, um, I think I'm not sure about this, but I tend to think that conservatives are more likely to, um, work for those kinds of organizations. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I don't know, it's just something I, I heard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised because I do think conservatives sometimes are putting their money where their mouth is where they say i don't think government should help but other organizations should Mm -hmm. Um, i certainly have tried to Mm -hmm. do that in my own life 
Um, I think one thing that I thought was silly was in 2012, um, Obama's campaign, like the life of Julia, which was just this animation talking about the life of Julia and under Obama, these various programs, uh, government mm-hmm. programs were going to help mm-hmm. her. And like conservatives were pointing out, like there's literally no one in the animation besides her and her baby. And that's not the kind of society that we want. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another thing I would point out. Yeah. So that's interesting. I do think you're, you're probably right that sort of in the meaning crisis that I think we do see in the, the modern and postmodern world, um, one of the answers that liberals and progressives are quick to reach for are those kinds of social system kinds of solutions. Um, and I think, you know, that's partly because there are like cases that are like clear cut cases of it working, like uh, social security, you know, uh, obliterating or not obliterating, but like severely decreasing um, elder poverty or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, let me ask you though, while, while you, you're mentioning different kinds of community organizations, I, I noticed that you didn't mention religion in there. It, does religion play a role? Do you feel like in your conservatism? Um, let's see. I, Possibly, yes. Um, although I'm very conscious of the fact that um, there's kind of a diversity of opinion in America in terms of the relationship of religion to your view of the role of government, especially um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of uh, minorities, especially African-Americans, having a different view of that for very understandable reasons. So, I mean, yes, like I that's part part of what motivates me to um act morally is is my <laughs> and and to advocate for a just and fair society is my christian beliefs but um it's i don't i i also tend to think in terms of very separate spheres and i think i mean like we have a we don't have um i don't think of america as a christian nation um mm-hmm. I, I i i like i would like people to um be christians but I, at the same time like i don't view um i think the separation of church and state is basically correct so for example do you then think so you mentioned earlier abortion being paid for abortion Mm -hmm. overseas or something like that right are you sort of in favor of abortion being legal you just don't want taxpayer money going towards it or um i mean i i think at the very least um abortion at 20 weeks seems unconscionable to me um I guess I, I, I tend, I tend to buy the, the future, like our own argument. Um, but at the same time, I also, I'm very pragmatic, um, in terms of what I want to see achieved. And I realize that most people are not going to buy that. And so I would try to, you know, advocate for something that we can all agree on. And then also additionally, at the very least, I think liberals should recognize that there is a real moral um con the, the, our con- our consciences are being violated morally like i recently you know was listening to a podcast and they were selling a book and they were like you know all our money from this book is going to go to um narrow um and i was like well i'm not buying that book then because i don't want to pay for abortion so it is a real thing for me um and i think currently you know the the progressive left, which seems to have a pretty strong hold on the Democratic Party, is just not even interested in having that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I do think that 
progressives i mean I, I lean towards progressives needing to make sort of more space for people who have moral opposition but are willing to be in favor of various kinds of laws that protect individuals rights um mm -hmm. i think you know I, I struggle to be critical of the left too much on issues like this because i think when you look at the way that um especially at state and local levels the conservative party has sort of undermined um the spirit of things like roe v wade and you can you could debate whether you think that roe v wade was properly decided but like mm -hmm. the, the extent to which they have effectively tried to backdoor you know what you what you were saying earlier yeah. the the virtue of a constitutional system right they have mm -hmm. tried to sort of backdoor that for the sake of preventing as many abortions um, as possible, it becomes very difficult, I think, to try to engage with that in good faith, feeling like people are, are will take advantage of, of good faith offerings. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I guess the there's a lot of bad faith going around. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I um, can't really speak to anything but my own views. Um, I, I, I guess I'd take your point um, that, um, I, it, you know, like, I, I think you're referring to things like um, the restrictions on uh, doctors needing a to be a, practicing in a local hospital and things like that. I think they call um, them trap so, laws. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I haven't really thought too much exactly what I think about that. I, I do think it's, it might seem a little dishonest. Um, but at the same time, like when you have people like Xavier Becerra, who, you know, was not willing to commit to being against partial birth abortions, being nominated to be HHS secretary. Like it just, it seems like that that's an aspect of the, the culture war that both sides seem really dug in on. Well, yeah. So the partial, I mean, we, we can maybe dive a little deeper into this as sort of an example of where like, I don't think anybody thinks that a partial birth abortion is like a good thing or a joyous event. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's a way there's a set there's a part of conservative rhetoric that gives the impression that like the left couldn't possibly care less about what is in, in those cases always like a medical tragedy of some sort. Like given given like the, the small percentage of actual, as I understand it, late term abortions that are even on the table, right? Of those, the vast majority, like none of them are recreational. They're all like it's life of the mother kind of, you know, mm -hmm. the, the child has a really severe disability or something. Like there's some there's some really significant justification there. And so it, it, it I guess it to me it strikes me as um trying to, you know, like like um bad cases make bad law kind of situation where if you focus on those tragic tiny subset of cases um you're missing what the vast majority of people's experiences with abortion actually are which is you know individuals doing it fairly early on usually for a range of of justifications and we could debate the ethics of those different kinds of justifications but like and so I mean maybe you want to say well if that's the case why don't the Democrats just get on board with bans on partial birth abortion and I think right. the answer would be because those are severe horrible medical cases and the government shouldn't be getting involved in those decisions that's a decision between a doctor and a patient and like trying to ban those because you're concerned that some people are going to decide you know 
right near the end of their um, pregnancy to terminate their their pregnancy f- sort of for an insufficient reason. They just, I, don't, I don't see that being a reality that's out there in the world. Yeah, I mean, possibly not. I mm-hmm. I don't know um, too much about it. I think one other thing about Bakera was like um, sort of aggressively prosecuting like the little sisters of the poor and regarding their um, mm-hmm. paying for birth control and things like that um and so i I don't know um i guess that kind of rubbed social Mm -hmm. conservatives the wrong way um but like yeah i i take your point that the edge cases can be a little um not the main issue i think that's a really good point actually i think so my sense of so conversations like this is that it's less about, and, and this is not a slight facts versus, you know, facts don't care about your feelings kind of mm. argument. Like, it genuinely is the case that I think the individuals who are against these sorts of things are, you know, bothered by it in this uh, emotionally abstract kind of way, where we're not talking about so much about real cases as imagined, very vivid kinds of cases. And that that is, I think, exacerbated by what they perceive as overreach on the progressive side trying to force their perspectives onto mm-hmm. others and so like i mm-hmm. do th- i do understand sort of where that is coming from emotionally um and i think you know i think progressives could do a better job and it's it's so hard because everybody's so tired of trying to appreciate everyone else's emotions i think but right. like you know you, you have to redouble your efforts at some point and just continue to like try to understand where the other person is coming from um so let me let me ask you about another topic just while, while we're sort of discussing mm-hmm. issues and i think it's interesting to me because i hear in what you're saying ways that like i think conservatism has changed even in my lifetime that like mm-hmm. where you are seems very different from the conservatism that i grew up with in suburban virginia for example um so like where where are you on the drug war what are you what are your thoughts on things like legalization yeah i mean i think basically marijuana should be legal i don't know anything mm-hmm. about anything else um i think it has had catastrophic consequences i think um yeah it's just <laughs> it's bad all around and mm-hmm. and like that's some i think this and like criminal justice reform are areas where there is i think there tends to be broader agreement about like i mean and you know progressives see see it from an issue of like disparate impact on minority communities and conservatives mm-hmm. see it as an issue of like government overreach. Um, and you can approach it from both of those angles. I think both those angles are legitimate, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think cause cause for optimism um, in the sense that, um, you know, that I think mm-hmm. I, uh, policy preferences change over time for a variety of reasons, but we are coming to um some agreement or or at least broader consensus on some issues Mm -hmm. yeah it does it does seem to me that there is more interest convergence when it comes to like the drug war for example um and Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me to hear that you sort of not only want to see the like drug war de-escalated but that you do you would say that it is it was escalated for racial reasons amongst other reasons it seems like yeah quite quite possibly i'm very Mm -hmm. sympathetic to that or at least even if it wasn't explicitly 
for racial reasons like it it had that impact and mm-hmm. also like um oh yeah i'll just leave it there yeah and i just think that's fascinating in the sense that in my lifetime to see that kind i mean like mm-hmm. do you feel like if you had been you know living 20 30 years ago that you would have had that same kind of view or do you feel like you still would have been sort of on a deterrence model oh goodness it's hard um, to know i guess but, it's it's yeah. it, it really is hard to know like i mean i think my views have changed over time just like i mean i hope everyone else's views have i mean i think like mm-hmm. for example i had um maxim lot on my podcast who i th- think it's fair to say leans like more libertarianish um or conservative but he was like pretty in favor of the iraq war i was also sort of like i in favor of it um and like you know my excuse was at the time i was a teenager but like having witnessed that just become very very much more pessimistic about Mm -hmm. um government and military intervention abroad Mm -hmm. um so Mm -hmm. you know i I try to update my beliefs um as as like a as a proper Bayesian. i (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so yeah um, so let me, let me ask you one more thing, and then we can talk a little bit about yeah. you know wokeness and anti wokeness. Um, do you what do you, what are your thoughts on where you would like to see health insurance and healthcare be going in this country? Oh you, goodness, yeah, it's yeah. a big question, um, this, but I'm curious. Yeah, this it's it it makes me fairly miserable to think about. I mean, I've <laughs> I've just, just the right for, show for that. For, um, for personal reasons and sort of, um, I guess my political interests because like mm-hmm. like personally i'm having difficulty with getting my health insurance to pay for things right now um mm, i'm sorry to hear and that. uh thank you um are you on the exchange like, or no i it's it's anthem it, it's a it's generally been good for me in the past um i don't know why um they're being more annoying about it now um mm-hmm. but uh, just navigating the bureaucracy is absurd. Um, and I hate, like I was talking earlier about systems thinking, I hate complex systems. And I think right now what we have in mm-hmm. America is a horribly complex system that mm-hmm. everyone kind of agrees is not functioning. Now, w- the thing that makes me miserable, though, is because I can't get away from the fact that I think the individual mandate is unconstitutional. Um, and mm-hmm. I just, uh, like, you know, I... I don't think it's the federal government's role to tell a private citizen to purchase a private product. Um, I can't Uh see any interpretation of the constitution that um, makes uh, any sense to me as far as that goes. And so I had Bill share on my podcast and he talked about sort of from his perspective as a liberal moving the ball forward in terms of, you know, um, there being a moral obligation to purchase health insurance for people. um, And, I, you know, I just, my, my kind of reaction to that is like, I, I think, yes, people have a, lots of moral obligations, but it's not the government's role to enforce those moral obligations on them, especially at least not in this way. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think the Republican party has completely fallen apart on that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's why I'm miserable because I don't know sure. what we're going to end up having Um and I don't know what I would like to see except um, more, I, you know, things like occupational licensing in terms of doctors. Um, mm-hmm. I think we probably spend one of the reasons healthcare costs too much is because um, 
we require so many years of schooling that in many cases are redundant um, and possibly also over-regulating pharmaceuticals as well. Um, what else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you be in favor of a like public option that is not required but is sort of boosted by being a government public option and competes against private um, op- you know, private alternatives? I'm not sure. Uh, I would have to think about that more, have to see what the CBO says. Um, sure. I'm concerned about the national deficit um, and debt right now, although, again, Republican Party has not been an exemplar <laughs> on that front either. Um, so yeah, not 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 too up on my health care, health health insurance knowledge. Okay, fair enough, no problem. Um, so okay, that was really interesting to sort of give me a sense of of what it means to for for you to be a moderate conservative at this point. So I'm curious. The other thing that we wanted to talk a little bit about, and you sent me some sort of useful background, is yep. you know I've I've been having these ongoing conversations about the woke and the anti woke, the culture war, mm-hmm. however we want to frame. Uh, these right. sorts of things. And I'm curious to hear sort of where you are sort of big picture. And then we can look at a couple of the examples that you sent yep. me. Um, yep. What, where are you? Do you feel like on the sort of creeping threat of wokeism? The creeping threat of wokeism. Um, I don't think it's good to I identify as anti-woke um, or mm. as like IDW adjacent or anything like that. I just, I tend to think of myself as like, I was, I've been pretty conservative, moderate conservative for a while. I'm going to stick to that. Um, I'm not going to try to get, um, align myself on, on the, on the culture war front, except mm-hmm. to say that I, I do like, um, I see some possible benefit to like a, a critical theory lens. I'm not wholesale opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, we uh, live in an extremely complex society with lots of different interactions um, uh, between people and uh, different institutions. And so there's lots of ways to look at things and I'm open to that. Um, and I also think um, it's interesting to me to see um I think there are some religious conservatives who are more educated, more um, open to the idea of like this whole concept of critiquing a system. And I Uh I think it might have to do something with of like a Christian notion of social justice and or a more like concept of things being related to each other um, as opposed to like strictly independent object type thinkings um so like because and you you were talking with like all i i think it was yeah i I forget i I know which of your last two podcasts but like the the subjective objective divide and i think it can go both Mm -hmm. ways on some things and so i that's why i um i mentioned it i linked to one article by by david french who i tend to be pretty similar to ideologically and he he went to law school and like you know was talking about how most of his law professors were critical theorists and so mm-hmm. he like identified one example where he disagreed it with it uh, one example where he agreed with it and you know s- some areas where he disagreed because he thinks it can be you know like anything overly interpreted if you just view everything through this one lens so um, I kind of gone gone on for a while but there you go 
Yeah, your discussion of systems there really complicates the picture to me in interesting ways, right? Okay. Because the traditional conventional wisdom is what makes, you know, one distinction between liberal and conservative minds is that conservative minds are more concrete and sort of, you know, um, specific instances oriented, whereas, um, you know, liberal minds like these bigger, more abstract kinds of, and I'm not like, I don't necessarily mm -hmm. believe this is necessarily mm -hmm. the case, but this is the conventional wisdom, I think, that leads to, that, that is one thing that people point to as an explanation for why liberals and progressives are have an easier time being on board with systems level analysis of racism whereas um conservatives tend to be more like the individual themselves has to be having racist thoughts in their mind as just, just like not, not to say that right. it's true of all of them right. but like you know just right. so but like no, i mean I, yeah i i think generally that's correct mm -hmm. but i don't i don't think it's universal and this is where mm -hmm. i would like to see people with more knowledge on the subject but Mm -hmm. um coming from my ideological perspective sort of engaging um with people who are more progressive on this mm -hmm. subject like jonah goldberg is an another one who's talked about systemic racism like very briefly on on, on his podcast and like has said something to the effect of like you know he's open to the idea in some you know in some circumstances as being legitimate so yeah i mean i just part of the reason that uh Part of the thing I want to communicate on this podcast mm -hmm. is just like the ideological diversity within conservatism. Um, and then also, like I was mentioning with, within, I think, like the evangelical community, I think there's definitely a generational difference hmm. um, because I think people who are my age, who are white and also Christian, like very much more um, aware of the way that people's culture and worldview and experience um, as a minority can inform their um, perception of um, things related to politics and not directly related to politics. So mm -hmm. that's, that's another way in which, um, you know, like everyone else, we're not a monolith. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I would, I, I was actually going to try to work towards a point to click to like reinforce the idea that y'all are not a monolith um and mm -hmm. my sense my sense is from following people like sovereign nations is that there is an active war going on within american christianity around these issues of wokeness and social justice that that sort of to me is a continuation of the conflicts between liberation theology and prosperity gospel which are i think two big strains within these views but so let me so going back to what you were saying about the group level analysis right I think you're right that religion, which is something that is more often, I think, associated with conservatives, is also correctly more often associated with being used to these large narratives and large systemic level analyses. Right. And that's that's something that I have highlighted when I've talked about the connections between religions and conspiracy theories that like mm -hmm. religions and, and religious individuals, I think, tend to be more vulnerable to conspiracy theories because they are taught like you were saying, to see synchronicities where, where others might see separate events or something like mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. They're not the only people who are vulnerable. It's just one kind of sort of potential vector. Um, but then sort of you can put all of that together and say, and then they're also more susceptible to these systemic level woke analyses, which some people also think are conspiracy theories. So it ties, you know, right. it really ties the whole room together is what I'm yep. saying. So I really yep. like that as a, as a sort of, and it really does complicate the picture a lot. So I, I, I like things that make things more complicated. So I appreciate you making nice. that point there. Absolutely.
Um, so, okay, let's talk about some of the specific examples now that you have yeah. sufficiently cleared your throat about your, your <laughs> com- you know, your favorite right. of these things to some extent. Um, right. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I do, um, I, I don't think I could even necessarily call myself a conservative if I wasn't a little concerned about wokeism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think where it goes too far is where you, t- uh, try to i think one major way in which it can fail is if when you are so conscious of like group level analyses and group differences and then you like go about and treat individuals in that way Mm -hmm. and like treat people of western european descent as though they are emanating oppression at at every moment um and to to the point where like at evergreen you know um they asked for a reverse day of absence where white people were not at the campus like i can't i can't bring myself around to seeing how that would be a good idea um yeah so yes so so let me before we get into evergreen let me just say i I am very sympathetic to your sort of critiques of monolithic accounts that can sometimes especially emerge in the like you know, everyday milieu of critical theory. I um for for mm-hmm. a bonus content episode that I just released for this show, I talked about a paper by Mohanty, who is a decolonial feminist, you know, in the woke sphere, who was mm-hmm. herself being heavily critical of like the monolithic accounts in feminism, and in, in this particular case of third world women and the idea mm-hmm. that like third world women are sort of conceptualized as a monolithic group who all have identical experiences of oppression and need to all be liberated in the same kinds of ways. Um, And that's one where I think you actually see like some actual overlap between the people who tend to be anti-woke and the people who are woke in, and then they both Mm -hmm. kind of, I think share that monolithic view and that's, you know, leads to, uh, concerns about Islam in atheist and secular circles, uh, for example. So I am very anti-monolithic narratives, and it's one of the reasons that I'm. I want to talk about these specific examples that you pr- that you provided for mm-hmm. me because one of my biggest concerns with the cr- the anti-woke narrative is that I think it is largely a monolithic narrative that tends to take a bunch of different stories, some of which are just outright bad others of which Mm -hmm. are very complicated and some of which are just really misrepresented and like homogenizes all of them into just being the same woke problem. Do you know what I mean? So like, you know, as we look through these examples, I will have varying degrees. I think of like, I agree with your concerns or not, but I think my Mm -hmm. overall headline is none of the things that are being presented here to me rise to the level of catastrophe that I see like on a daily basis coming from the anti-woke. Yeah, I don't want to mm-hmm. catastrophize. Like, I don't think it's the the biggest problem facing the nation right now. Um, mm-hmm. My main point is that I I think all of these are like individually, even with all the context, pretty bad. And um, I think it is incumbent upon people who are on the left to combat them because I don't think that I'm going to have any 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 luck with it. Right, and if it's mm-hmm. a problem on quote-unquote your side um then you you know i should deal with your side in the same way that i am completely exasperated right now with um the the conservative movement on the republican Mm -hmm. party 
Okay, great. So let, let's talk about these specific examples. And we'll start with yep. Evergreen since you mentioned it. And I think, you know, a lot of what I'm going to end up saying on, on some of these is going to be like, I don't think that they are necessarily doing the thing that they want to be doing the best way possible, but I do at least feel like I understand theoretically, like what is backing their ju their judgments in that. So I'm curious with the example of the like reverse day of absence, do you feel mm -hmm. like you could in any way get yourself, you said, you know, you, you have a hard time even getting into the mindset. Can you steel man? Do you feel like what, why they might feel that was a valuable maneuver? So the, only thing I can think is that if the people who would be identified or identified as white in that environment were so, um, so there were so many instances of microaggressions that, you know, they just thought for one day, like, oh my goodness, we don't want you here. Like, mm -hmm. um, or maybe you know, some convoluted theory uh, as to, you know, in, um, you know, a safe space being a, like, I, I don't know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's, 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 it's hard. And I think it's, it's ultimately damaging to view people that way. Mm -hmm. Um, in, you know, 2021. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's 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 all I got. No, that's great. It was, it was a good earnest effort. So I mean, let me see if I can try to walk you to where I think they're coming from, right? And and okay. you can and and again, this is not a defense. This is this is not the technique that I feel like I would use in the situation, mm -hmm. right? So my understanding of what happened with Evergreen in previous years, they had had a sort of people of color day of absence right mm -hmm. where people of color stayed away from the campus for the day and did other sort of people of color centered activities in that kind of way right do you know if it was like like Mandatory. every year previous no oh, no no, no. Okay. Uh, um, yeah uh i don't I, I think it had been going on for like a few years perhaps that this has been you know okay been a project that they had been doing consistently and again it's, it's been a while for me on evergreen um but so 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 the reason i bring that up is because i just want to say i think first of all it's easier for people to initially be on board with the idea of so the re, you know the, the theory behind it was with these people absent from the community it becomes more obvious the, the importance of those people to right. the community right the right. absence is right. felt and right. so so that, that do you feel like you're on board yeah, with that I, at least? I I yes, and I I remember that being part of the context. I guess my memory of it was that this had been something that was like a practice from a while ago. I didn't mm -hmm. realize, and it sounds like you're telling me they they did it basically every year since then. Um, I I don't know how many years uh, they it does. I, I mean, I, my okay. sense is that they it, probably yeah, stopped after the whole you know fiasco well right? sure but, sure 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 yeah but um, mostly what i sort of want to yeah. sort of get to is that like you know so here's the theory here's the argument right doing it that way while it has some benefit still puts the onus of, of like action on the people of color they're the ones who have to stay away they're the ones sort of doing other activities and such like that and so i think the idea behind flipping it to a day where you know, white people are asked to stay away is that the white people are being asked to sort of change their 
behavior. It's putting the responsibility on them. And it was, as I understand it, coupled with activities that they could go to where they could learn more about these particular kinds of issues. So it was not just like, you know, sit in your room and be alone and think about how white and terrible you are. Right. right. Like, no, I, I can't say that, you know, going to those meetings, they weren't going to experience something similar in some, you know, to some extent. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, you know, I, I think, I think what I want to say is those kinds of features that often I think get left out of the, the, the like sure. general narrative to me complicate the picture a little bit right that that make it so that i feel like I, I can comfortably say this is not the way that i would do things but i don't think that they have done something so horribly transgressive that we you know like that the all these many years later evergreen is still this kind of like really serious code word within certain communities i think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah so I I think it's interesting. I noticed kind of a shift mm-hmm. in like the original justification of like I want you to notice something by my absence and mm-hmm. then I think this is a key progressive shift. Now I'm going to put the burden on you. Mm-hmm. And that mindset, I'm going to put the moral burden on you. I don't think ever like <laughs> ever works like Mm. i'm going to inform you of your moral failing right and this is like it's just i think it's it's a horrible like i mean a horrible way to convince someone of anything um Mm -hmm. and will increase levels of antagonism not i mean as an ethicist i can Um, certainly attest to that that is true (laughs) like telling people they're doing something immoral rarely goes well in my experience um though i do think it's necessary sometimes to tell people you're doing something immoral even if you're going to sure. get that pushback, of course, right? But I do, sure. I do agree with you broadly as a persuasive mechanism. This does not strike me as highly persuasive, okay. right? I think so. I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic to that. Um, so, okay. So, was there anything else within the like evergreen example that you feel like we should highlight, or do you want to talk about? Uh, no, we can ones? we can move to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Which which else do we want to talk about? So, dealer's choice. Um. All right. So. I- I am really fascinated by the Middlebury professor one because okay, okay great yeah let's yeah. do this so yeah, yeah, so yeah. explain explain yourself right what is the All situation right. <laughs> so um this is something that popped up on my twitter feed thought was interesting <laughs> and like basically um do you want me to read the the whole paragraph or yeah the, the, can, um, you, can you first okay. actually can i ask you real quick yep. h- how how did it pop up on your feed do you remember who shared it by any i chance? think it was emily node i don't know if that's a um, what her okay i, I, just wasn't, I was is. curious yeah. you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i mean she um, okay so go ahead I, I don't think she's like a a anti-woke charlatan by any means um so yeah Mm -hmm. so middlebury professor this event um titled middlebury's opportunity to facilitate the demilitarization of white bodies quote evidence Mm -hmm. that whiteness is always weaponized is everywhere the august 2017 charlottesville march dog walker amy cooper threatening to call the police on bird watcher christian cooper in new york city's central park 
U.S. Capitol Police officers taking selfies with armed rioters and Richard Barnett sitting at the desk of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, just a few recent examples. In order to make any progress toward establishing and sustaining a genuinely representative democracy in the United States, whiteness must be demilitarized so that white bot- so that bodies designated as white might become human. Paradoxically, Middlebury College, an institution founded to embrace the value of unencumbered study, is especially well-placed to offer space to make progress in this essential effort for democracy's evolution, but to do so, we will have to remove humans from the center of our inquiries in favor of what Robin Wall Kimmerer calls a grammar of animacy that places humans among rather than atop Earth's life forms. Yeah, that's great. I don't it's know a, what that last paragraph does. It's, it's a great <laughs> paragraph. Last sentence, yeah. I, I can explain yep. the last paragraph, but I'm, I, I, like, I, I probably have a good sense of why you're not happy with this, but I would love for you to make yep. it explicit before okay. we dive in. Yeah, sure. So um, I think of myself as human okay. um, mm-hmm. and a person of Western European descent, Anglo-American, um, you know, like I, I don't think that race is real, but I, I also, you know, don't mind people calling me white. Wait, um, have I, you actually survived the Gom yeah. Jabbar, or are you just choosing to call yourself human? <laughs> I don't even know. Sorry, what the Gom it's Jabbar a very, is. very deep um, Dune reference. I, I yeah, Dune, Dune's okay. coming out no, soon. Everyone no will get worries. that joke in a month okay. or two. Uh, awesome. Um, but yeah, so I think this is an example of how the Ivory Tower can generate theories that eventually just sound so absurd that you have to scratch your head and go, what are you doing? And why do you think it's a good idea? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those examples are like racial incidents that I, I think are good. Like the first list, you know, is, is fine. And I even don't, yeah. um, I don't necessarily take issue with like the concept of whiteness as, as a thing of, of, mm-hmm. you know, of, normalizing um western european features um or cultures or perspectives um it gets to an interesting question of what america is because we're made up of you know a variety of cultures certainly you know anglo america has been dominant um in the past and still is a large majority so you know it's it's a difficult cultural issue that i think we have and must continue to work through um mm-hmm. so if you went want to use different language to talk about that that's fine but like at the same time bodies designated as quote-unquote white might become human like it just sounds yeah. like the kind of yeah nonsense anyway i'll stop no i mean i you shouldn't stop i think this is valuable critique and and like i've been reading a lot of papers some of which sound like this and uh-huh. so like I, i'm i'm happy to help code switch but before i do i do want to fully like agree with you that like this does not like this is the language version of the action problem that i was just talking about at evergreen i this does not strike me as the right language to mm-hmm. i mean this, this strikes me as ta- speaking to the in group right you are you are using language that codes well in group but like reads really badly i think out of group now so let me let me see if i can at least try to translate this into something that doesn't sound okay. horrible um <laughs> Right, so this line about, and this is maybe laugh, the line about whiteness being demilitarized so that bodies designated yep. as white might become human, right? Obviously, I think reasonably reads to a normal human being as saying, oh, so you're saying white people are not human or something like that, right? What I think they're doing here, and I didn't listen to the talk, so I can't, you know, I'm just inferring here. You know, when we talk about people being dehumanized, like, and, sure. not, and not in a, like, they're a, a, a demon kind of sense, but in a, like, sure. they have been stripped of their humanity, 
Sure. I think what they're saying here is, and this is a common theme within like pedagogy of the oppressed kind of stuff, that like being a member of the oppressor class dehumanizes an individual just as much as being a member of the oppressed class. That like both are, you know, turned into um, lesser beings as a result of this kind of process, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, what I read them saying here is, we want to free white people of the kind of white system of power that pushes them into these situations where they are dehumanized alongside the people that are being more explicitly marginalized Mm -hmm. next to them so it's not that they're that white people are not like humans in a a moral sense right it's that they are being dehumanized and need to be rehumanized and like so a classic um a quote that stuck out to me when I read Pedagogy of the Oppressed is the line, there's a line about, you know, the oppressors have to liberate, sorry, the oppressed have to liberate their oppressors. That like the oppressors are so invested in the system of oppression that you're going to have to help them transform their humanity too, even if that doesn't seem necessarily just. Does any of that, any of that resonate at all for you? Yeah, it Mm -hmm. it does. And I think that's also, you know, very Kingian as well. However, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think um, the, the 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 fact that this little um, paragraph strikes someone as mm-hmm. being something that is a good and normal thing to write <laughs> kind of indicates to me just the level of detachment from. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think of it like a, a detachment from like any sort of mm-hmm. philosophical clarity or rigor. Um, well, I mean, I would put I mean, it as the opposite. Yeah, I would I, say it's too much rigor yeah. is the problem, right? Like, okay, this is this is this is yeah. a highly specialized language that these people are right. using right. to like speak code to other people, and that that is an isolating problem, right? And this is this is why I think that like public philosophy is so important, and public critical philosophy is so important because you need people in in between this this type of language right and the normals right you need someone who can downshift this into something that i think is more palatable without losing the like true meaning of what's going on here which is hard yeah but i i also think that by itself this is just a bad way of Mm thinking like i i think the way that you described it was like perfectly legitimate way to, to describe something but when you're when your mode of thinking gets caught up in this kind of mm-hmm. mindset, I just I think it ends up having a negative effect on the world and the way that you perceive and act in the world. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, and I think there's something to this paragraph that is agreeing with you. So that last sentence that you feel like you didn't understand about mm-hmm. that places mm-hmm. humans among rather than a top Earth's life form. So what's going on right. there to me is kind of an eco-feminism, you know, critical ecology kind of language, which, you know, mm-hmm. has uh, tied the dominancy that arises, especially in white Western Europe during the, like, late 1800 that becomes part of colonialism and such attached it to this urge to dominate nature through science these urge to control 
our environment so perfectly that we are mm -hmm. never at risk, which has increased people's quality of life a great deal in a variety of ways, but has also probably precipitated, you know, anthropogenic climate change. And so what I think they're saying there is we need to stop seeing humans as separate from this larger biosphere, much like you're saying we should stop seeing, you know, white people and people of color as being quite so separate in these kinds of ways. So I think it's interesting how different groups in these culture wars are wanting to like adjust the lines between difference and sameness in ways that try to highlight what they see as important problems. And I think there's a lot of debate going on in those different areas. Now, again, I have no fault against you for not being able to read that and pick <laughs> up on that. Um, but yeah. yeah, so does that, that seem at least a little bit like wh where you are going, broadly speaking, even if it's not well phrased? Um, sure. <laughs> it's fine. You can say no. It's okay to say no. Um, uh, no, I don't, I don't know. Well, I, I'm, I'm so like, mm -hmm. you, you know, if everyone in academia were like you, Aaron, then things would be great. Um, <laughs> no, they would not. That is not true. That is okay. quite the opposite right. of the case. All right. <laughs> but if there were more people who were doing, you know, public philosophy, I think that would be valuable i will agree with you on that mm -hmm. for sure so let's talk about we've got mm -hmm. we got two more and we've got a little bit of time left and i think it'd be good to get all yep. of them so uh what do you want to do next the princeton one or the uh sure yeah, yeah let's do the princeton letter and like um this uh, again is a, a thing where like mm -hmm. some things in the princeton letter were totally nominal and then some things like raised a lot of alarm bells even for like professors on the left and i think the biggest thing was you know the princeton letter arguing for a committee of anti-racism to review like not just academic scholarship, but I think mm -hmm. it included academic scholarship for instances of racism. And mm -hmm. that goes back to my conservative belief that, you know, power is a bad thing and that <laughs> we should not have arbitrary authority. And this seemed to me like, you know, fairly arbitrary authority being assigned to a new committee that would have, a chilling effect on speech and on academic research and mm. that was justified in the minds of some people as being part of this larger effort to scrub racism from our society and that i mean i i also want to you know eliminate racism but i don't think that's the way you go about it mm -hmm. and i think it um just has this kind of like uh, tending towards authoritarian mindset that i think is very harmful um and is ironically i think more likely to show up at like elite level universities um mm -hmm. <laughs> uh which are you know places of you know a, you know i think it's fair to say a lot of privilege so yeah so okay so this is like I think this is nice because the different examples you provided to me sort of fit into different categories of like woke problems. Um, and this uh -huh. to me is fits into like neatly into the um, solutions that feel very neoliberal to me. And I'm skeptical of their efficacy more than I'm skeptical of their like immorality. Um, so, okay. you know, when I hear a committee about anti-racism, I am, I am less concerned that like it's going to start silencing really important, you know, like literature or something like that. To me, I worry that it's more like another thing that a university can point to as a, you know, as like 
an, a thing they've done because they needed to do something right. that doesn't actually right. have a huge effect other than that it like creates another hoop that academics have to jump through that is frustrating and alienates more people to mm -hmm. these kinds of issues, right? Like I'm less worried about, and like part of that is because I'm continuing to wait around for the Journal of Controversial Ideas that I, you know Peter Singer and a couple of other folks have said they're going to be putting out anytime hopefully maybe to see like what kinds of ideas are really being silenced within academia and like what people would say if they were able to say things anonymously. Um, my, mm -hmm. my take until I am proven otherwise, given the delays on that journal is that I don't think there's actually a lot of really brilliant insights that are being shelved because of wokeness. Right. I think if you have a really effective piece of data or evidence or something people will generally want you to publish it and will encourage you to publish it so that's that's just sort of my my priors on the situation um then you know like with, with maybe the exceptions of like a couple of very specific sub disciplines like uh biodiversity or something like that right um so yeah yeah ahead. i mean so one one example i'm thinking of was like the recent nature article that got pulled um mm -hmm. and it I, th I think there was like research indicating that women who had male mentors did better on average than women who had female mentors um and so there was a lot of criticism of the scholarship and it was retracted mm -hmm. um and like one of my proxies for like is this a good thing or a bad thing is like listening to people like um the host of the two psychologists for beers podcast who um i think i you know are pretty left politically but also are um skeptical of of, of some of the current trends in academia and so like mm -hmm. i i i can i think i see more of a bias potential bias issue and like chilling effect there um than maybe you do but mm -hmm. i mean i generally want more conservative academic work mm -hmm. and i think you know we don't have enough time to get into all of the like possible justifications for why sure. why i do think it is the case that there is you know there are fewer conservatives within academia or something like that even though i mm -hmm. would I push back more at the level of, of like the systems level where I think universities are not woke institutions, in my opinion. They are much more like Disney or something where their goal sure. is to be a business at this point and being a business yeah, for them absolutely. means catering to wokeness up to a point, but probably yeah. not doing a lot of the genuine substantive changes that I think are really important. So like the list, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are things on here that I think are interesting and, you know, are the kinds of things that people could potentially get riled up about, like moving away from the use of standardized testing or something like that, that I think are valuable debates worth having. But I do worry about this, like what has already been a problem in academia of increased admin as the solution to at any problem, like creating yet another committee does sort of immediately strike me as not necessarily the best option there. Um, but like, on the other hand, it could be a functional committee. It could actually be helpful. It could, you know, it could be the case that there are, are professors who just don't know that they are doing something that they don't want to be doing. And if someone pointed it out to them, they would be really happy and have that changed. So I do think we want to take those things into account a little bit, at least as well. Um, but I, you know, uh, this is, I guess, another example where I feel unless you're willing to like dive into the specific numbering of, you know, each specific thing on this list, 
we, we want to be careful about pointing to it as like a huge problem that is that is justifying a major concern yeah go ahead yeah so i mean it's f- funny like how much how much is there a problem right mm-hmm. like i think there's probably more of a problem in society on the right with where the conservative movement is mm-hmm. than on the left however i do think that these things tend to play off each other um and i think like the sense of like identity grievance which was somewhat justified by trump being um in office is like one example of where like uh he he made made things worse for our society as a whole um Mm -hmm. so on the other hand like i don't think that a kind of university environment which is i mean as you said it's oftentimes not about substantive change it's about Mm -hmm. ideas and holding to these ideological shibboleths that aren't actually real Mm -hmm. um is is a problem because it ends up you know affecting like the mindset of the democratic party in the same way that like fox news and talk radio affect the mindset of the republican party like or mm-hmm. at least i mean to a lesser these, extent these ideas kind of, you, yeah. to a lesser extent but yeah i'm like these ideas kind of filter around and we mm-hmm. have different like kind of cultural bubbles in both both groups um and so yeah i like and I, as i said like i'm not yeah I'm kind of in a no man's land where I don't think I will be able to influence anything. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I think that it's important for people on the left to be like, ah, do we really want to go that far? Um, are these ideas maybe a little too extreme or not approaching the problem in the right way? Yeah. And I mean, something else I want to note in, in a lot of, in several of these stories, you know, evergreen in the, in the Princeton case, there are individuals who I think are on the anti-woke side who exacerbate the problem in certain ways so you you linked me to as well i think right i found, came across the write-up by joshua katz that was done for quillet um and, and from what i can tell joshua katz who was a professor at the university referred to a group called the black justice league as a small local terrorist organization which doesn't you know like doesn't seem very constructive right doesn't seem helpful uh-huh. to um uh-huh. the discourse and it, you know it is very hard for me. I, I get so so frustrated by that kind of catastrophizing language because it is very difficult then to have a conversation because you have sure. escalated things and you have given the the woke you know the extreme woke let's say right if I, even if I'm being generous here right the the, the extreme mm-hmm. woke who I want to get to calm down right it's very hard to get them to calm down when you call them a small group of domestic terrorists. Right. Um, so right. you know, do you would you agree at least that like. It, it feels to me that anti-woke approaches to these kinds of problems are more about escalating the culture war than de-escalating it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why I said I don't mm-hmm. identify as anti-woke. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I think, you know, we everyone has a moral obligation to um, be gracious while they're seeking justice. And it's a difficult thing in in each instance and like i've never you know personally experienced like a situation where you know i I felt uncomfortable because of my political beliefs or anything like that and so i don't i don't have any like firsthand knowledge um of of a situation that might come up like this and i hope i always comport myself with 
you know, the right attitude. And like, I think I would ask everyone else to do the same. And if mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think I was the one who linked you to that, but like, definitely like we should not be calling each other terrorists. No, um, it's probably, yeah. it's probably that I just searched the Princeton letter thing and, okay. and that came up. So uh, yeah, I see. for sure. I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have assumed that you were in favor of that particular analysis <laughs> given our conversation. Indeed. Um, okay. So yep. we are almost out of time, but I really do want to get to this last one because I think yep. it is in many ways the most interesting to me. So this is, okay. um, and in this case, you did actually link me to the write-up on this was by uh, the by by Rufo by Chris Rufo who mm-hmm. I want to at least be upfront in saying I do not think is a serious or responsible actor or resource okay. when it comes to these kinds of issues. I think the executive order yeah. that he advanced was bad, and like I think that he is largely a. Um, you know, a, a, a bomb thrower or something like that, who is simultaneously unwilling to come on my show and, and actually talk to you about these issues. Um, okay. but, but you are here and I'm very happy to talk to you about them because I think this is still an interesting story despite the source, right? right? So do you want to explain right. the woke elementary? Yeah, <laughs> so woke elementary. And like, I always try to like get to the original source in these things mm-hmm. and they had at least you know what they claimed to be an original source document um which i think is the most important thing because i think it's very easy to get slanted coverage so mm-hmm. basically Meyerholtz elementary um which is a largely asian american um elementary school um they um, according to the article um forced class to third graders to deconstruct their racial identities, then rank themselves according to their quote power and privilege. Mm-hmm. And the original um, slide deck, um, seven slides talks about what identity, what um, social identities are. And then talks about the, what, what a dominant culture is mm-hmm. um, white middle-class and gender educated, able-bodied Christian English speaker Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then it asks which parts of your identity hold power and privilege um, and then read aloud this book is anti-racist mm-hmm. um, circle the identities that hold power and privilege on your map um, which I think for me would probably pretty much be all of them <laughs> and uh, yeah um, so that's um, I mean that's the rundown. I I and I generally think it's a very bad idea to be asking third graders to engage in this kind of exercise. I'm not sure that I would endorse it under any circumstance, but at least um, not for um, children who are you know eight years old. Okay, so yeah, so it seems to me one of the biggest reactions, uh, sort of emotional like triggers here is the fact that it is these young individuals with maybe a, a like a distant second being that this is happening in a math class which is super weird and like you, you know the, maybe we can deal with the minor issue yeah. first i i don't think this is the kind of conversation that should be happening in a math class which is not to say that math and power aren't related but to say i think it would be better for this to be happening in a philosophy class that i do so so where i differ from you a little bit i think is I take a very different position on at what age should individuals start having these conversations. I don't think it is necessarily in principle wrong. I think this was done very poorly, but I think a better version of what's being done here is the kind of thing that I wish that I could be allowed to do with younger individuals. Because when I get students in undergrad ethics classes who've never had a conversation about formal ethics before, I just think that we're utterly failing people because we're afraid to talk about 
social and ethical issues in public mm-hmm. schools because we get these kinds of, you know, often religious sort of blowback kinds of reactions. So I'm curious if I, you know, if it were me instead of a bad wokey, mm-hmm. right? And, and like <laughs> I were in a classroom with young people and I wasn't like making them you know, recite their sins or something, but like having a conversation (laughs) with them about the history of power and race. Do you feel like that would be potentially acceptable to you? Um, From what you said, no, because I think teaching history is important and teaching about powers and and racism is important Mm -hmm. and prejudice as well. Like um, all forms of prejudice that it can, it can take. Um, I think where I, um, the, the biggest word that I have, um, an issue with is privilege. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that mindset or, or, or even associating like, um, Mm -hmm. people like a group of people with power, like that kind of mindset is, is a good one to teach third graders. Um, because I think it can, um, reinforce a way of thinking about the world that is not the mindset that you know ideally we want to have Mm -hmm. what if i use language that i prefer with regard to things like luck and so i talk to the students about like what kind of luck have you had in your life can you list the kinds of Mm -hmm. good luck you've had can you list the kinds of bad luck that you've had what should we do if we are a person who's had a lot of luck and we encounter some person who's had very little luck do you feel like that is mm-hmm. more acceptable? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I I do, and I also like it's it's funny because like, um, it really. I was thinking about the word privilege and like underprivileged communities and things like that. Like, it it really is oftentimes about where you put the emphasis, and I think an emphasis an emphasis on compassion for those who are less fortunate than you is like very important or mm-hmm. might be marginalized in some ways like that makes a lot of sense but it seems to me like the a lot of times the progressive mindset is the opposite of like focusing on the groups or the entities with the power and holding them to account mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know shaming them for it so that's what i really um take issue with yeah no i can understand that i i'm i'm sympathetic to the ways in which i think the systemic stuff makes it difficult for us to get back down to the interpersonal level to some extent. Mm -hmm. I did, though, I found it very funny that Chris Rufo of the anti-identity crowd was very, very clear that this school was like 94% non-white Asian American. Oh, yeah. And like really wanted to like, the way he was describing it, it really did remind me of, of like, old newsreels about war where it's like the woke war is happening and then like all of a sudden the Asians are coming in to flank the woke and they weren't expecting it and like the tide is going to turn now because the Asians have turned against the and and like he put forward in the thing as part of this and this is getting a little mm-hmm. bit away from what actually happened in the classroom this sort of mm-hmm. this idea that the woke can't deal with the reality of um asians as a as a minority that is doing well or something a non-marginalized minority and to me that just you know like drives home how little engagement with the actual material i feel like folks like like rufo have actually had because you can find tons of material about you know model minorities about immigration patterns that might have impacted um these kinds of factors and also like 
interesting discussions about how, as we discussed already on the show, Asians are not a monolith. And it is not true sure. that like all parts of Asian communities are this same hyper productive thing, yeah. right? So I do think it's very easy for individuals who claim to be anti-group identitarians to still be willing to play those cards. And like in their defense- When it's convenient to them. Yeah. Right, and in their defense, they're catering to people who care about those sorts of things. And it does matter, I think, that this is a school that is not all white. I do think that is a salient mm -hmm. factor, though I disagree with how far mm -hmm. he takes it. So it's like, I just wanna, I wanna have these complex new audience discussions. And I really appreciate that you've been willing to come on and do that. And and like, I, I want you to really genuinely feel like I'm trying to hear your concerns because I do think that your concerns are no, valid. Do. And I do think, I, I want to model for woke people to understand when they are undercutting their own goals, it seems to me. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. do you have any, cool. let, me, let me wrap up with one more question. Let me make a quick one and then I'll get you to the enlightening round. Um, yep. I've been asking this of, of several of the sort of outgroup members who I've had on the show recently. Uh -huh. Are there people mm, yep. in our, in the outgroup world that you would recommend folks, woke folk listening to this show get into to try to hear an alternative yep. perspective? Yep. So I think um, two organizations that come to mind, the first is the Dispatch, um, which is kind of a center-right new um, organization. Um, I think they're very intellectually honest, um, provide a lot of um, good uh analysis from like an admittedly conservative but sane perspective um mm -hmm. and then the other one is braver angels which is not um like conservative or liberal it's um an organization that's dedicated to fostering um cross uh, across the aisle conversations in local communities um i think they have about fifteen thousand members um they they've got a, a lot of um unique approaches to um to how they do it like one thing they do is they separate the groups of, of like red and blue tribe and have them talk about stereotypes of their own tribe and then they get them back together and they talk about the stereotypes they came up with and then whether there might be a kernel of truth to them hmm. it's, it's it's interesting stuff hmm. um they also have a podcast um i recently listened to one um, from braver angels of color talking about their perspective on different issues and how they approach um the concept so Great. that's that's cool um two uh, individuals i would mention john wood jr um mm -hmm. uh, he's also with braver angels but i think he's written some stuff which i've found to be helpful and interesting um kind of as a black man also a moderate conservative and then jamie weinstein um similar to me and that he uh, voted for clinton and biden but also has a podcast in which he interviews people from really across the aisle um and all different kinds of perspectives he's had like tony scaramucci on <laughs> he's had um thomas sowell um ta-nehisi coates um just kind of a he knows a lot of interesting people um with unique perspectives in politics and i think one one of the one of the things that helps him uh in his interviewing process is that he is doesn't pretend to be an objective journalist um mm -hmm. but and he's open about what he does believe um so yeah it's it's good those are some people i'd recommend great thanks very much those are some some good solid recommendations all right so now unfortunately i have to torture you this is the enlightening round enlightenment comes from within so 
I'm going to give you a list of things, right? You're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Some of these are things that you would want to talk about or suggested as topics. So you can get right. your, your one word answers in here, real or okay. not real. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Let's find out first. Is anything real? Yes. Okay. Let's find out what is real. Is the enlight? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's the lightning round. Uh, is the <laughs> external world real? Excuse me. Yes. Okay. Are colors real? Yes. Okay. Phenomenal consciousness. Yes. Free will. Yes. Mm-hmm. Selves or persons. Yes. Mm-hmm. Genders. Yes. Races. No. Uh, species. Yes. Morality. Yes. Okay. Rights. Yes. Knowledge. Yes. God or gods. God is real. Gods are not real. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what the Bible says, but sure, we'll set that aside. Society. (laughs) That's a good point. Um, (laughs) Yes. Uh, sorry uh money yes numbers yes fictional characters yes holes like a hole in the ground yes chairs yes sandwiches yes science yes natural laws yep beauty Yep. Love. Yep. Causality. Yep. And finally, time. Yes. I really want to do a correlation between non, non-academic non philosophers and how many more things they say yes to. I feel like y'all tend yep. to be way more on board with a lot more uh, things in your ontology. It's true. Um, it's true. Yeah. That was great, though. Um, How do you all feel? The, all the spooky stuff. You know, I, I feel good. It's funny because I didn't think it would be as bad as it was. I mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And then, I don't know, all these concepts are coming at you quick. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I have to second guess myself a little bit. Yes. The justification from one to another is, is very difficult to keep consistent, I think, is what people find. So this has been great, Stephen. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to let folks yeah, know where they can likewise. find you one more time? Uh, sure. The website is youmighthaveapoint.com, and uh, my Twitter handle is my name, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-D-A-U-S-E. Great. Yeah, and I definitely recommend the pod. It was uh, We had a fun chat, and you've had some other folks on who I think are good people. So thanks very much. Cool. Thank you. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you, but as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest patron, Lawrence McCurich. And thanks, as always, to our top-tier patrons, to our Archon patrons. Thank you, Jude Law's Canadian accent in Existence Makes My Pussy Throb, Jesse Urbanowitz and Brenda Goodman, Fix the Vote, Dude, Chad T., CampQuest.org, CampQuest.org, CampQuest.org is back. Awesome. You guys should... Uh, definitely check out the campquest.org episode if you haven't. They're good peoples. Um, and as always, thanks to our very top tier Archduke level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. Thank you all so very much. 
If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at ETVPod. Share us around to all your friends. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, here we are still remembering that you are the void and the void is you. Mm-hmm.